Good evening, America, and my Maple Leaf friends up north. Some people call that northern Montana, but my uh, teammates, Rod Martin and Pastor Rhett Burns, are joining me today to discuss cost politics recent bar fight that we kind of got in, and I couldn't end up, I could potentially by the end of the show end up on the mat, you know, with two Baptists pinning me down or, or, you know, or just maybe a bloody nose and paying for the first round of drinks after the match. We'll we'll see. So so grab your best scotch or Dr Pepper and and, and enjoy this discussion and show. But first, Dime Payments is a Christian-owned processing payment business. Every business needs a payment processing system. So please go to dimepayments.com forward slash FLF. These guys are great, and sign your business up. Working with them supports us. They won't cancel us. Uh, you know, like they canceled Trump. You know, like Stripe canceled Trump. They won't cancel you like Melchimp canceled the Babylon B. So check them out. At least have a phone call and tell them cross politics sent you. Go to dimepayments.com forward slash FLF. Belly flop or cannonball? Huh. Brings a new meaning to that this week, doesn't it? This past week and a half has been a busy one for us as our show last Wednesday caused a little public, little public, I don't know, a big public relations debacle with our Baptist brothers. Now, for the last five years or so, Presbyterians and, and Baptists, I think, have, have labored in very encouraging ways and tried to work with each other and do their best as, you know, kindred spirits, uh, you know, and do their best as possible despite some of our theological differences. I've really enjoyed the, com- the camaraderie um, from all this and encouragement that has come from that and hope it continues down this bumpy road God has us all on. Founders and Tom Askell invited us uh, and Pastor Toby to speak at his conference in 2019. Cross Politic has also did a live show with Vody, Bauckham, and Josh Bice and Tom and Jared at that same conference. G3 and Josh Bice invited us to do shows at, at their conference in 2020. And we had Josh Bice come and speak at our high school worldview camp up here in Moscow. We had uh, Jeff Durbin and I, Rod Martin spoke at that camp also. We had Jeff Durbin and Apologia speak at our missions conference. Um, Apologia has had Pastor Toby speak at their conference. Dr. James White spoke at Grace Agenda. Jeff Durbin spoke at our first ever Fight, Laugh, Feast conference. And all these joint efforts have been surrounded by um, – healthy debate hasn't been neglected in all this. There's actually been a lot of healthy debate and back and forth regarding our differences over the years, despite the invitations and conferences, speaking and supporting and platforming and so forth. You know, actually – this debate reminds me of a debate that occurred between a Baptist and a Presbyterian minister. And they got into this baptism debate over the mode of baptism, you know, sprinkle, immersion, um, pouring, immersion, so forth. The, the, the Presbyterian minister said he could prove to the Baptists that pouring or sprinkling water on the head was sufficient. Stay with me. Stay with me. And, and so the uh, Presbyterian asked, you know, if the candidate was in water up to his ankles, would that be enough? The Baptist pastor that you know absolutely not absolutely not and, and and he snapped back you know in this way then uh the presbyterian pastor responded and said how about up to his knees baptist pastor responded and said no not good enough not good enough the baptist pastor left so the presbyterian pastor responded and said okay then how about up to his waist okay baptist pastor said nope the baptist uh, the Presbyterian minister responded and said, well, what if he was immersed in water up to his chest? The, um, that wouldn't be a baptism, the Baptist pastor responded. All right, would you accept it if it was up to his, his neck? 
and, and of course the Baptist pastor is no, no, no. Then how about if he was in water all the way up to his forehead? You know, the water kind of came up to come up to here. Would that be good enough? Baptist pastor responded and said, no, 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 a thousand times no, that would not work. Well, then the Presbyterian responded, it's just as I said, only water that goes up, uh, only water that is poured on the head uh, indicates a legitimate baptism. Uh-huh. There you go. So all this fellowship that has also included a good bit of debate has really been a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I don't see how it it could not, you know, there, there's been a real joyfulness in this work with each other, a real desire for fellowship with each other. That's been true. And at the same time, a real genuine back and forth in debate as that has arisen from all this and still fellowship. It's been my prayer through all this last week and a half that this only spurs on greater fellowship, joyfulness, and a genuine back and forth here. So let me recap just for those who are tuning in, didn't see last Wednesday's show, uh, didn't really see the um, debacle that was created in all this. Uh, let me uh, recap a little bit of of the show here as I kind of adjust some of my notes of what's going on here. Um, the uh, hopefully this recap is sufficient, but you know, go back and listen to the shows too. So, uh, the fireworks started on our show last Wednesday. Uh, the show titled "From Slavery to Abortion to Transgenderism: The Church." led us to the trans movement. That was the title of the show. Our friend Jason Farley connected the current trans identity crisis to the radical individualism found in generic American Baptist culture. Having grown up in the South and after living in California for a couple of years, this made sense to me and I agreed with Jason. Now in the backstage portion of the show, something that we generally reserve for club members, Jason went on to say that Baptists are the cause of the trans identity crisis. One of the rubs in play is that Chocolate Knox also closed out the first part of this discussion in the first show, telling Jason that he wanted to get to how our covenantal Baptist brothers might be connected to this generic American Baptist line of thinking. Obviously, you are here. You are hearing my summary here, as I mentioned, so feel free to go to the app and listen to the shows and hear for yourself. There has been a lot of gracious, so that's kind of my gist summary. There's a lot more that's gone on, and there's been a lot of gracious interaction, debate, and friendly punches since that show from our Baptist brothers swinging at us, whether they are asking for clarification to outright disappointment regarding what we said. Now, let me say it here that we do not believe our reformed Baptist brothers are the cause of the transgendered um, identity crisis in our society for two reasons. First, our reformed Baptist brothers um, were not the target of our definition of that radical individualistic generic American Baptist theology turned secular. Uh, we just didn't have them as part of that definition. And secondly, I tweeted this out um, that we did not, that we had friends like, you know, James White in mind. We didn't have him in mind when we were talking about this, you know, American generic Baptist um, you know, view of, of, of the whole issue. And because James White and my brother gets the covenant better than a lot of my Presbyterian brothers. Um, James will baptize a four-year-old and bring them to the Lord's table. My Presbyterian brothers will um, baptize babies and refuse them the Lord's table until the child passes the test, you know, whatever test the elders put before him, usually between the ages of some sort of, you know, eight to 12 years old. So James, in my mind, was not the target of our definition. We were talking about radical baptistic individualistic you know view of identity 
which means our Reformed Baptist brothers were not the target of our conversation. James, I, like I said, I think understands covenant better than my Presbyterian brothers. Let me say one more thing here about our show, and and this I'm this is where I can I, I understand some things here. It's it, our show is like walking into a bar and listening to three Presbyterians drink and talk with their friends. Um, you know, um, you know the 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 joke that three Presbyterians walk into a bar and the bartender responds and says. Sorry, we're only allowed to serve beer to people who are 21 years and older. So Presbyterians maybe could be a little mature a little bit on, on some of this bar fight stuff. So my point is, we are not a systematic theological podcast. That's not us. And so in this sense, I understand the frustrations of our Reformed Baptist friends who believe we said they were at fault for our current trans trends in our society. Our conversations are not always tight. Our transitions from leaving the show, as been pointed out, and going to backstage portion of the show does not always connect and so forth. And so I ask that you would, you would hear our clarifications and take them at, at face value. Now, to our discussion. My team of contributors include Baptist and Presbyterian. And so for today, I have uh, just Rod Martin, who actually used to be on the executive committee for the Southern Baptist Convention, and Rhett Burns, who is currently a pastor in the SBC. Um, joining us to have a kind of a free range discussion on the fallout from our show from last Wednesday, you know, from everything in between kind of all the blog posts that have, that have happened. Uh, there's just been a lot that's gone on since uh, the fallout from last show. So thank you, Rod and Rhett uh, for joining us. And, uh, you know, as I, as I mentioned in our text before coming on the show that, you know, speak freely as we kind of hopefully have a good conversation around all this. Now, Rod, I'm going to have you come in first because I, I've seen a couple of tweets here and there from you, but I really don't, I, I, I maybe have a better understanding where Rhett stands, but I, I really quite don't know where you stand on, on this whole debacle. So I'd love for you to kind of just, um, you know, fill me in where you're coming from and, and, and what your thoughts are on this whole uh, situation. Well, I mean, honestly, I, I think a lot of people have talked about this. Tom Ashville wrote a good article on this. James White talked about this. I don't want to beat you guys up or anything. I, I love what y'all said just about as much as if uh, you, you know, you would have loved it if I had accused you of being responsible for the Holocaust or something. So, you know, obviously I don't like what was said, but I mean, you guys are friends. I mean, I don't just love your show. I love you guys individually. And that certainly includes Jared, for mm -hmm. heaven's sake. We've been friends for a long time. So I just really have two main points. I mean, one theological and one very practical. Theologically, I think really the whole argument just tries to prove too much. I mean, there's a sense in which literally everything wrong in the world could be laid at the feet of the church. Sure. You know, there, there, you really can make that argument. But I think it goes too far a lot of the time. I mean, honestly, and you know, Doug Wilson made an argument, I think in 2006, at some length in Credenda Agenda, that all homosexuality was the fault of Christian fathers. And mm -hmm. eventually he recanted that because it's, I mean, there was truth in a lot of what he was saying, but it really was just too much. Because the reality is, you know, take transgenderism. What is transgenderism really? It's not a, it's not the logical descent of errors in Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's an absolute rejection of God 
and his creation and, and, and in two parts. I mean, it is an absolute rebellion against God, mm-hmm. but it's also a rebellion against the idea that God has any right to decide what the creation is and is for. Mm-hmm. It's really Eve in the garden saying, no, I'm not going to listen to God's rules for what he gave me. I actually get to decide not just what's right and wrong, but yeah. what is and isn't. It's an even more fundamental rebellion than the normal ethical rebellion. It is a rebellion against the idea that there can be a definition of reality external to the person asserting it. Mm-hmm. And that's way beyond just some dumb thing some Christian group may may say that leads down the slippery slope. It's actually just a fundamental rejection of, of God and everything Certainly. having to do with God. So, so that would be my theological point. I think y'all were trying to prove too much. I, I think it's well-intentioned, but I think it, it just proves too much. And then the second thing is very practical. We are in a battle for Christendom. Mm-hmm. We are in a battle for Christian civilization. You guys have done a better job of working across the aisle than just about anybody I can point at. Mm-hmm. I applaud you for that. I love you for that. I would just say what Ben Franklin said, we can all hang together or we will surely <laughs> hang separately. <laughs> and, you know, fighting each other right now over these things, it, it's the same debate we had at the beginning of the Conservative Baptist Network, where we're trying to deal with the rise of wokeness in SBC institution. There were a lot of people there who were very adamant that the real fight is with the Calvinists. And I said, guys, come on, you know, write systematic theologies at each other later. Right now, we need all hands on deck against something far more pernicious than anything you might think about each other. Mm-hmm. We actually have to stand together in this time. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage that here. It's not that I don't have an issue with, actually, I would have a bigger issue with some of the things that were said in the backstage show about, about what to a Baptist almost sounds like baptismal regeneration. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to sit around yeah. here and beat up Knox because he wants yeah. everybody to baptize their baby. And, I mean, that's what Knox believes. I'm good with that. I don't agree with it, but it's not heretical from my yeah. point of view. Yeah. I just think he's wrong. Yeah. And I don't want to spend a lot of time smacking Knox around for, for his sign-off every week. I want to work with Knox to beat the real bad guys. Mm-hmm. And again, we can write books at each other later and we can be kind about it, but let's not, let's not do anything that destroys the unity in the day of real battle against mm-hmm. real enemies. Mm-hmm. Now, Rod, you've, you've always kind of struck me as a, as a, I mean, I don't know maybe the best way to define you, but uh, definitely a kind of like a theological, you know, pragmatist. Um, which is, which is, uh, I think, kind of assesses the perspective you're coming from, where you uh, want unity, and I think we all do. I really, I, I'm not saying no one else does, but when when I've also talked about like political battles with you on our show, that tends to be your general assessment: is let's lock arms, let's fight here, and then let's discuss our theolo- theological differences later. That's kind of usually your general take on on things. Um, I would not call it a theological pragmatism okay. so much as an operational pragmatism. Okay. Again, 
I can sit around and argue with you guys about pedo baptism all day long, mm-hmm. and I have a strong opinion. Mm-hmm. But when I've got people coming for the definition of reality itself, mm-hmm. I'm going to focus fire yeah. on the bigger battle. Yeah. You know, and then in peacetime, yeah, we can shoot each other all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> um, uh, you, you hinted on this a little bit, um, talking about, um, kind of the church's influence on culture. And then, you know, you can probably generally kind of pin that, you know, 30,000 foot view, generally speaking, or, or, um, please don't let me put words in your mouth, but that you could see that the church can be responsible for most things that happen in our culture. Um, is that a fair, there's a level on which that's inevitably yeah. true. Okay. And I'm not disagreeing with yeah. the general thrust of what was said just right. with the specifics. And and one thing I was thinking of, I actually had this offline debate with a uh, James white, but you'll probably hear this on the, uh, make sure you guys check out our show with James white that we had on Friday. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking uh, about this a little bit, kind of the church's responsibility for culture. And, you know, if I walked into, to Corinth and, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just a straight pagan nation. I'm walking in. I'm, I'm as a pastor. I'm telling my deacon stop, stop going to the temple prostitutes. Telling this guy, hey man, you married your dad's wife. You got you're you're excommunicated. You're out of here unless you repent. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like I'm unwinding a paganism out of uh, you know out of that society. Um, I'm not blaming the church for that paganism. And, but if I come to like a Christian America. Where I see, and this is probably to your point, Rod, where uh, uh, um, America that had been saturated with uh, the Christian influence for a while, I'm, I'm going to assess things differently about the church and that culture. Is that kind of where you're, what you're getting at, kind of big 30,000 foot? America's a Christian nation. Yeah, you can probably pin most things on, on the church. Well, there's a level on which that's true. I mm-hmm. mean, there's no question about it. Mm-hmm. If, there are failings in, in not necessarily Baptist theology. I, I wouldn't necessarily go there, but I would say Baptist practice in a lot of quarters mm-hmm. has been problematic. And, and I'd, there are a lot of Baptist churches I wouldn't belong to. I would say the same thing about Presbyterianism. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't lay all of the flaws of, okay, I, I'll give you a perfect example. It would be easy to blame Presbyterianism uh, or at least reformed faith more broadly for the Unitarianism that took over Massachusetts mm. and New England mm. over time. It would be easy to say, well, see, if they hadn't done X, Y, and Z. And actually, Gary North makes a pretty compelling argument mm. that the halfway covenant is responsible yeah. for what ultimately happened at Harvard and yeah. so forth. Yeah. And he is a president or was mm-hmm. a Presbyterian. So, yeah. you know, he's self-criticizing. He, he, he is there. now. He, he really knows his Presbyterianism now. <laughs> he really does uh, one way or the other. But, but regardless, yeah. the point just is, I think that's proving too much too. Mm-hmm. Is it true that they did things that were wrong and mistakes and mm-hmm. we should learn from hundred mm-hmm. percent. Is it true that they caused anybody to reject God and become a Unitarian? No, that's mm-hmm. that's absurd. I, I don't believe that's true. I think the things they did contributed to it. I think that's a fair criticism. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we're each responsible yeah. for what mm-hmm. we choose to believe about God mm-hmm. and for our rebellion against him. Yeah. Uh, one last thing here, and then I want to bring Red in um, here in a minute. Uh, you know, I think... Uh, 
one of the things that we we try to you know cross politic our main target is to bring the gospel into politics and, and culture and so we're constantly and we do this with our own presbyterian denomination we do this with charismatics episcopalians you know um uh, baptists we're, we're constantly trying to assess okay um, what's the connection of the church here and what bible verses apply here you know so so um, if this manifestation of sin is out there, well, where maybe could it have begun in the church? Um, and I think that's that's a that's a healthy analysis or a healthy conversation. I'm not a, a saying that we all the time get it right, but I think that's um, that conversation is something I would like to see more of in our in our churches about. Okay, what did what did we get wrong here, and how maybe that might have manifested itself out in the world out there. And so I think that's part of the spirit of the of the constant conversation we have on cross politic. Where we're where we're doing that with, I mean, I I think Presbyterianism is responsible for Revoice. I think Presbyterianism is responsible for um, a lot of the LGBT making its way into um, the Reform world, hundred percent. And I think I can draw a pretty good dotted line there. Um, well, I, I really hate to defend Presbyterians because that just kind of goes against my constitution. <laughs> but I, I think that proves too much to, or attempts to. I think individual Presbyterians leaders have absolutely thrown gasoline on the fire of Revoice. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that the Westminster Confession is responsible for Revoice. And that's really the distinction I'm drawing. Yeah. I think yeah. the conversation that you constantly engage in mm-hmm. is fantastic and it is right headed. And we need to have that all the time. Mm -hmm. I think to say that Baptist theology gets you transgenderism Mm -hmm. is just, I mean, if you wanted to say that, you know, from a Presbyterian point of view, that there are aspects of Baptist theology or practice that have gotten you toward the point where certain people are marinated in bad ideas so Mm -hmm. much that Mm -hmm. it, it fertilized the garden that transgenderism grew in. Yeah. That's a fair criticism. I actually couldn't disagree with that. Mm-hmm. To say that Baptist theology gets you transgenderism is silly. Yeah. Well, and that's where, and I'll bring Red in for this this part of the thing. That's where I'd say, well, we didn't we didn't really weren't maintaining um, Baptist theology. The, the context for for us was kind of the this generic American Baptist, which I could also I'd be happy to include kind of broad evangelicalism in this. That it that is kind of that outworking the practice of that outworking of kind of this indiv- radical individualism is what is um uh responsible for transgendered you know identity crisis out there um but yeah there's a heteropraxy issue that is pervasive in the church and everybody wants to blame it on the american church or whatever no we actually see it in a lot of the rest of the world too mm-hmm. this is not a great era for christendom no. to be yeah. perfectly blunt mm-hmm. anywhere and there's no question that the operational theology of people in many cases which i would i would really categorize more precisely within practice mm-hmm. is very poor and leads to a lot of error mm-hmm. that is beyond the error that the people engaging in it realize mm-hmm. it will result in. Yeah. I think that's fair, and I think that's true in, in Presbyterianism also. I just think, again, say it for the last time, I think you guys tried to prove too much. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, a, it's actually a very interesting thought 
but radical individualism in the church would get you there. I just don't think it got you there alone. I mm-hmm. think it it allowed the the conditions in which that much bigger rebellion mm. could flourish. Mm. I think that's a fair point. Mm. Okay, uh, let me let me bring Rod in. Um, uh, I know Rod, you uh, excuse me, Rhett, not Rod. Uh, let me bring Rhett into this. Um, Rhett, you've gotten into the weeds a little a, a little more here on all this. Um, you know, kind of just give me your general summary and thoughts and then and love to go something back and forth here. Sure. Well, first of all, I, I want to agree and, and situate this uh, I'm a controversy, whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. uh, within the context of gratitude and, and, and friendship like you have. I think that's important. I think what Rod laid out about why this matters uh, in terms of the, you know, kind of the cultural battle that we're in and, and the, the, partnership and and between camaraderie between you know pedo baptist and credo baptist over the last few years i do think that's why this is important this conversation um Mm -hmm. as i think about it um i think there's really two interrelated but distinct things going on uh over the last week and a half so i think there's the what i would call the original error and i do want to argue that that it is an error uh of what was said there on the show um it was just that i don't think it was you know sinful or, or anything like that. I, I think it was wrong. But uh, so I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing is uh, over the last you know week and a half, the double down, the triple down, the quadruple down. Uh, I think that had some practical implications uh, as well that I think we yeah. need to talk about. But to the original point and what you and Rob were talking about, I would uh, I would argue I think we have one, uh, a misapplication of your principle. And then mm-hmm. I think we had on the on those shows, I think there was a misrepresentation. I don't think it was intentional, but I do think there was a misrepresentation of credo-baptist uh, thought and theology there. Um, mm-hmm. But but first, uh, just because it goes along with what you and Rob were talking about, okay. I agree with the principle that culture is downstream from religion and that worship mm-hmm. flow, you know, what happens in the sanctuary flows out into the world. I think we mm-hmm. it's a pattern we see in the Bible. I think it's right. Uh, where I would disagree with, um, you know, your application of that principle is mm-hmm. I, I don't think everything that happens in the culture can be traced back to the church because mm-hmm. Christians aren't the only ones worshiping. And yeah. so you have, mm-hmm. you know, all people are worshipers. God created us that way. Worship's inescapable. We're all mm-hmm. going to worship something. And, and that worship then uh, flows out into the world. So, so what we mm-hmm. see is downstream from worship, but not necessarily downstream mm-hmm. from the church. And so mm-hmm. as one example, I was thinking about, uh, a few years ago, I think it was an old Douglas Wilson uh, lecture on Islam, and he talked about he, he connected the dots between dictatorships in the you know in predominantly Muslim countries to their radical Unitarian conception of God, mm-hmm. and where God in his essence is not love but power. Mm-hmm. And so he traces it back to that false worship, right? And I think that's I think there's something to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what's not being traced there is you're not tracing. The dictatorships and, and, and things that come out in, in Islamic culture to the handful of house churches in any particular Muslim country, because yeah. we're not tracing back to the church, we're tracing back to worship, and I think right. that's the principle. Mm-hmm. And so, if we trace everything back to the church, and I'm not saying there's not some relations, and I'm not saying there's mm-hmm. you know it, some perversions and things that, mm-hmm. that come out of that, but I am saying to trace back it, it as a cause, I think it's misapplication. Uh, and you know, I almost hate to say it, but like that's the that's the Russell Moore, David French playbook. You know, every Sunday essay of David French is blame the church. And uh, yeah, I don't want to yeah. see you guys go down that route. And I don't think y'all go yeah. in the same way that he does. But the principle yeah. of blaming the church is one that I want to dispute. And say I think that's a misapplication 
of the principle of, you know, worship mm-hmm. flows to the world. Yeah. Can Paul, I, can I enter, the, enter here? Enter absolutely. here, Rhett? Uh, don't sure. forget your don't forget your other point. Um, if you yeah. need to write it down, don't 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 forget it. Okay. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily also disagree with all that assessment. Um, you know, especially as a a Christian nation gets more and more pagan, um, I think the church loses that massive influence that it had, and in, in um and things get more and more pagan, and it's just a result of just outright rejection of God and pagan sin. You know, so I wouldn't um want to connect everything to the church um as as a church gets more and more pagan um but i i think what i what we want to all i think kind of um just just reserve to to try to do is to do our best to say where where can the church specifically be responsible um for what's going on in our nation now you know i mean you know education not discipling our kids well that's a good example Um, putting our kids in public school that's a good example you know and 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 the more we can find where we can take responsibility, that's directly either connected maybe from a misapplication of our theology or some bad theology or um, some some theology that's gone secularized. You know where whatever's going on. Like I said earlier, I think I can easily draw dots to <laughs> Presbyterians and Revoice. I don't think that's hard at all. I mean, I think um, you have uh, a bunch of noteworthy Presbyterians out there who are not holding the line good at all in all this, and they represent us. Tim Keller is a good example. They represent us. Well, and I, I think, you know, in the same way, the Baptist um, SBC has some representation, uh, you know, by Rick Warren, some representation by, um, you know, some general American Baptist representation by Robert Jeffries out of, out of uh, Texas, those kind of things. So I think we can um, uh, draw, uh, you know, dotted lines to some of these things that are going on in our culture. But at the same time, I don't disagree with you that, um, there's something I, I agree. I agree. We can draw some dotted lines here and, there and, and make some mm-hmm. relations. I'm just saying that's a, that's a lot different than what was said on those shows. Uh, I, I, when you talk about calls um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and kind of laying, laying it at the feet of, I do think that's that's mm-hmm. a different thing. Yeah. Well, um, and I guess I, yeah, maybe I, I um, drawing a dotted line. Uh, so, well, let me just address the word cause that we used on our show. So, in the backstage, um, Jason Farley said. Um, in now in my mind, and you can talk through this too, Rhett, in my mind, we were talking about the individualistic radical kind of individualism found in generic Baptist theology that, um, that has caused the identity crisis in our transgendered world, uh, you know, America. And that word cause, I think is, is I understand some of the consternation that that word has caused. Uh-huh. Um, I think um, as Presbyterians, the way we think about this is we think covenantally. Um, so I talked to uh, one friend. He, he brought up the word caused. He really had a problem with that. And, and one of his points was, you're saying that I'm morally culpable. And and, and my response to him was like, actually, I, I don't know if you are or not. Um, and I think the better word for me to communicate to you would be the word responsible. I think the church is responsible for this. I think the church is responsible for this. I think the Presbyterians are responsible for this. I think the Baptists are responsible for this, whatever. Then that word responsible, I think, communicates that, yeah, we should be able to see that dotted line. We should be able to draw the dotted line between our actions over here in the church and out in our culture. But at the same time, it doesn't also communicate moral culpability. I mean, it could. It, it just depends on on what's going on. So. Jesus took responsibility for our sins. He wasn't morally culpable at all. Sure. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a father 
and I'm responsible for, for my family. And when my son sins, um, I may or may not be morally culpable for my son's sins. I'm definitely responsible for my son's sins. Um, and, and in some situations, uh, you know, a father can, um, you know, Ephesians chapter six, a father can, um, uh, frustrate his kids into sin. He then I would say, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree, I don't disagree with that ahead, point. I, I, go ahead. I don't think that's necessarily what was, it was what was meant and what, what was communicated. Mm-hmm. If that, you know, I, I think there's equivocation maybe on the, on the, on the word there cause, and I don't want to get called up on that, on that too much. Um, I do think, um, there's been a little bit of a pivot to, uh, to talk about the radical individualism that, uh, I mean, I think that was definitely at play. I mean, you know, we're talking about that in Truman's book and, and various things. Uh, I think some of that was imported to Baptist theology that maybe some of it we've seen in practice and, and, I don't want to, you know, ignore the fact that, you know, Stephen Furtick, you know, about an hour and a half north of me does these spontaneous baptisms and things yeah. like that that are just kind of really uh, bad practices. Um, but I think there was some things said about, you know, Baptist theology that I didn't recognize. And so there was a lot talked about, you know, that kids just get to choose their identity when they get to whatever number of years old of this age of accountability. So on the show, you had it in your blog post. And that's just like, that's, I don't see that. Uh, I haven't seen that. I've been in just generic uh, Southern Baptist, American Baptist uh, churches all of my life. And what we don't say that, that a kid gets to determine their identity at, you know, whatever that age of accountability is, eight years old, 12 years old, 15 years old, whatever. Uh, We don't say that. We say that God chooses when to convert someone Mm -hmm. and then uh, when someone is giving evidence of, you know, they're, they're professing faith. Um, and then we're going, you know, then we'll, we'll baptize them because we see that repentance and faith and regeneration and baptism kind of, you know, those go together in the scriptures. And so we don't say that they just get to choose. We say God chooses. God mm-hmm. is the one who saves and he's the one who converts. And then after that, we will, we will baptize them, but it's not even an individual decision either. It's not just, uh, I'm not saying this never happens, but but generally speaking, you have uh, you have the individual uh, who is mm-hmm. professing faith. If they're a child, you have their parents, you have their pastor mm-hmm. involved, you have their church involved. They're watching their life. Are they showing mm-hmm. you know the, the fruit of the spirit and, and fruit of repentance, things mm-hmm. like that? And so I think you see the biblical pattern of having two or three witnesses before you make a judgment. Mm-hmm. That's going in, and, and it's not just the child kind of willy nilly getting to say, "Oh, I'm a Christian now, uh, mm-hmm. baptize me." It's I believe in Jesus now. Uh, I have repented of my sins and walking through that with those who are um, responsible for them, their parents and their pastors. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think there was a little bit of maybe, I don't know if it's misunderstanding or or misrepresentation unintentionally, but I do think that's an important point there uh, because how that was represented isn't credo-baptist yeah. theology. Yeah. And, and I would, I, 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 I absolutely understand that that's um, the credo Baptist theology. Yeah. Um, I I would um, there's there's two responses there. One is I agree with you that that's um, uh, there, um, and but and I also have uh, my own personal interaction with this stuff. Being a, a Christian in Texas in the in the thick Baptist culture in Texas, sure. um, where there's um, gonna be. Uh, some differences on that take, but I agree with you in what you're saying there. And I'd say, um, thirdly, one thing that is at play for sure here is 
um, the Presbyterian worldview of how we understand baptism and kids, I'm sure you're very, um, you know, part of at play is that, you know, Presbyterians believe that their kids, when they're born, they're part of the covenant people of God, whether they're genuinely saved or not, but they at least, this is where uh, the identity connection that we were talking mm-hmm. about, we, we believe that they they identify as God's people in the, in the, in the covenant of God, because they were born into a Christian family, just like in, you know, an old Testament, um, Israelite, when their kid was born, their kid was born into the covenant people of God. Um, mm-hmm. that's why they would get circumcised. And so when we, so, um, uh, without trying to draw, um, all the dotted lines that everyone's been trying to draw from sure. what, uh, what I'm saying, I'm, I'm, uh, when we talk about kind of this radical individualistic Baptist, uh, um, view, um, and I can give you a lot of examples of this from, from, uh, friends, families, and so forth. They largely, uh, their kids, especially in Texas, I can give you multiple examples of Texas, but especially they'll teach their kids that they aren't Christians until they're ready to accept Jesus in their heart when they're, you know, most of my friends in Texas were probably baptized in between that 12 and 16 year range. Um, and, and this is just my circles in Texas. I understand there's other churches, different ways. Um, and so for, for 12 years, 13 years, 15 years, they would say, no, you aren't a Christian. And, and they'd all go worship together. And then they would take the Lord's supper while their, um, 12 year old kid wasn't allowed to take Lord's supper and, and just creating this identity crisis in their, in their children, um, because, uh, they aren't. Um, supposedly saved, you know, even though the parents don't really know or not. And so that to me was, was what we were getting at was kind of that radical. And now I, I got tons of Baptist friends also, especially on the reformed Baptist side where they're teaching their kids to pray when they're, you know, six months old, they're teaching their kids catechism when they can talk, they're teaching, you know, it's like, they're very different, even though they might have some of similar um, uh, expression of believers baptism between those two camps. Um, they're far more covenantal on how they're raising their kids and viewing their kids than this this other side that we, I was I was trying to clearly communicate um, or trying to talk into, and then my blog post kind of like, I hope elaborated on that. So, so two, two there's some worldview things there. Sure, two things there. It, first of all, if I understand things correctly, Texans cause transgenderism. Then, am I right? That comes out of Texas. Oh man, we could go, <laughs> you know, that hurts a little bit, but man, there's like, we got, we got governor Abbott as a governor there. So. <laughs> no, uh, the, the, the second question that comes to mind, and he kind of hit on it there at the end, but I think a question would be, do you think that Baptist, uh, is it your understanding that Baptists treat their kids like pagans, like, like self-consciously, are they thinking of their kids as pagans? Uh, well, again, I think the radical, uh, individual, okay. Baptist, absolutely. I mean, I had friends who literally wouldn't teach their kids how to pray because of wicked yeah. prayers of abomination to the Lord. I, I do think that's the you small know? minority. I think what you have, you have the small minority who are kind of weird about that type of stuff. And honestly, I've never run into it. I've heard about it, um, but I've actually never run into that. I think mm-hmm. you have then a little bit larger group that are your Reformed Baptist. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you have your broad group that is just kind of, um, to use Jared's term from the show the other day, the loosey goosey, and they'll they'll baptize as soon as they say they love Jesus, and, uh, and know, five I, times I, in, in five years every year they'll baptize yeah, again. And, and so, <laughs> Make sure but you I, get this right. But I do think that 
I don't think Baptists, generally speaking, view their kids like pagans. I think most kind of that broad, you know, that largest group are doing it unconsciously. I think you have others who are uh, careful about what they're thinking. So here's how I think. I don't think of my kids as 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 pagans. Mm-hmm. They're not baptized yet, um, mm-hmm. but they're I don't think of them as pagans. They belong. I think of them as they are in a Christian family mm-hmm. and they are covenantally connected to mm-hmm. one who is in covenant with Christ. Yeah. their father and their mother. Uh, right. And so I think we are thinking covenantally there. Um, they have, you know, they are in a, in a family uh, and the head of their family is loyal to Christ and belongs to Christ. And so they, they are connected in that way. Um, and, I, and honestly, mm-hmm. I just don't see it terribly much different than how Presbyterians think of their kids as yeah. being in the objective people of God, but not necessarily converted yet. Yeah. Uh, I think of our kids in the same way. I think there's mm-hmm. some people who do that that are Baptists. I think others, um, they're not necessarily thinking covenantally in that mm-hmm. way, because I think probably they haven't been taught to, but they're still thinking of their family as a Christian family and their kids as Christian kids. And sometimes um, in ways that are unhealthy because they'll, they'll baptize unconverted five-year-olds mm-hmm. when they first mm-hmm. say they love Jesus and, and then they grow up mm-hmm. and they're unregenerate and, and we have those same problems. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think that, that Baptists are, Mm-hmm. Um, really thinking of their kids as pagans and not Christians and giving them that identity of belonging to a Christian people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I, you kind of highlighted, I mean, we, we can always, you know, kind of geographically layer the soil on each denomination, you know, this sure. denomination, you know, um, and you kind of gave a little bit of the layering as, you know, the small crazy group who we just mentioned would, wouldn't even teach their kids to pray. We can call that the small crazy group. I'm totally fine calling that they wouldn't teach their yeah. kids to pray because they believe their kids aren't Christians and they don't want their kids to have be a wicked prayer. That's an abomination to the Lord. That's the small crazy group. hundred percent there. Sure. Um, and, and then you mentioned kind of the reformed Baptist, um, which is bigger. And I agree with, and those, those are the brothers that we were not talking about um, uh, in this. Um, and then you mentioned the broader kind of unthinking Baptist world. And I can, and I actually, um, we were talking specifically about kind of the, the, the radical Baptist individualism. Um, mm-hmm. but I could throw a whole bunch of evangelicals into this camp too. Um, you know, this is just a very broad category and I agree with you that they are genuine in how they're raising their kids. Um, but the unthinking part is where I think the problem's at. Um, because, uh, I mean that, that parent who's, you know, God, Jesus, Bible, Friday night football. Um, they're raising their kid uh, the best they can to love Jesus, but there's this yeah. unthinking communication that's going on that mm-hmm. I don't think most of the general generic Baptist world understands. That's causing that's causing havoc in a lot of ways. So my Reformed Baptist brothers aren't part of this because, I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many of my Reformed Baptist brothers where I'm going to their house and their two year olds singing and raising their hands. I mean, it's so it's great. It's covenantal, right? But this unthinking Baptist evangelical framework where um, your kids are born into your family and then you go to church and, you know, even your eight-year-old, whatever age, you can think of seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, whatever. You as mom and dad, you go take the Lord's Supper in that church service and you tell your kids, stay here. This meal is not for you yet. What do you think that kid is concluding in that moment. I'm part of mom and dad's family, but I'm not part of God's family. I must not be a Christian. 
So there's so that I think there's some unthinking things that that some evangelical and broader Baptist parents are doing that are actually causing that identity crisis. They're communicating that they aren't saved, even though that maybe they're they 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 believe they're raising their kid um, well in in the church, but they're actually communicating that their kid aren't saved in all their kind of unspoken actions in in what they're doing in the church. I don't know and that th- they're communicating that their kids aren't saved. I'm th- I'm thinking maybe they're communicating. Uh, one, the importance of believers' baptism. Uh, they, they're communicating the importance of regeneration and faith, mm-hmm. uh, of repentance, and they're uh, communicating um, this idea of growing up into Christ and maturity mm-hmm. uh, as well. And so I, I don't, I'm just having a hard time making that jump from mm-hmm. credo Baptist theology and the more responsible versions of credo Baptist practice. I, I mm-hmm. recognize mm-hmm. there's some unresponsible as well. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't, I don't get that jump. I don't think that's there. I think what Rod said that it kind of proves too much is accurate. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think that's kind of where the where the rub is. I, I think you need to make that case a little bit better. I think I made a really good case for radical individualism being a problem. And I will amen that. I will mm-hmm. clap for that. I will, you know, I'm not going to argue with you on that. Mm-hmm. I think where the rub came in on those shows is you didn't title that backstage show The Failure of Radical Individualism. Mm-hmm. You titled it The Failure of Baptist Theology. Mm-hmm. And the entire lead up uh, in the regular show um, mm-hmm. and I like Jason Farley a lot. Anytime I've listened to him on Unplugged, anytime I've read him back when mm-hmm. we both wrote for the old blog when it first started. Oh, I yeah. Stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. But but every time Farley talked in that uh, in that opening show and into the backstage, he either either um, explicitly by, you know, naming Baptist or implicitly by description, he was talking about and connecting the dots between or attempting to between Baptist theology and and the transgender crisis. Now, Jared, I think, tried to, uh, you know, he went off in some really helpful directions with, you know, Truman and, and Lewis. And I think Knott's tried to give Farley a couple of ways out. And, and you did as well, tried to soften it. Um, but it was it was pretty persistent on that. And so that's why I, I think Baptists have objected. And that's why um, you mentioned earlier about some of Toby's posts. And I love Toby. And uh, I appreciate, you know, in in his last in his last post, he addressed me and Jeff Wright directly, and um, just flat out, kind of directly said, you know, he thought we were wrong, and I appreciate that. I think directness is kindness, and so, um, but I would, I would return the kindness and say directly, I think he's wrong there. That we're, you know, the, the charge was that we were we weren't exegeting that show the way we would scripture. But mm-hmm. if I look at the scripture passage, and you know, everything was about Baptists leading to transgenderism, and with the one explicit statement in the middle that that Baptist calls transgenderism and the title of the chapter was Baptist, you know, the failure of Baptist theology. Like I would be right to jump to make that conclusion that that's what was being said. I appreciate all the clarifications and, uh, and all of that. I, I do think um, where the rub comes down on kind of the controversy part is on that kind of double down, triple down of, mm-hmm. you know, you, we were talking about this, but actually we were talking about, we weren't talking about these people and we, mm-hmm. we were talking about this, but we said this and maybe some equivocation on terms. I think that's where, that's where the controversy kind of came to. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think that's so, where so I, I think be... just acknowledging the, the error, acknowledging the error or, or, or that you know, I would say it was an error or, you know, trying to prove too much or whatever else. Uh, if anything, what you're trying to say wasn't clear. Um, I, I think some acknowledgement there rather than doubling mm-hmm. down, is where the controversy kind of goes away and we can get back to, to mm-hmm. you know, 
doing our culture warring together. Yeah. So was it was it? Do you think it was clear in the first show that we were talking about radical? You know, we use the specific term uh, American Baptist theology gone secular. Um, uh, do you think that was clear that we weren't talking about Reformed Baptists in the first show? Not the no, backstage show. I, I don't think it show. was clear. And, and the reason I say that is um, because at that point, when you're talking about baptizing your kids after they profess faith, that's not distinct to any, that's not distinct to Reformed or non-Reformed. It was mm-hmm. kind of the thing that we share, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the, no, I think I, that could have hit, that could have hit we were, anybody. That was sure. But like I did in this show, I was trying to say, like, I understand that, you know, Reformed Baptists and this broader evangelical, you know, individualistic Baptist culture, you guys might, um, uh, you know, the way you baptize might look the same, but your presuppositions of how you get there are very different. And it shakes out in how you raise your your kids and how you view your kids. So I, I agree that these two different camps reformed baptist and this radical let's just keep using the term radical individualistic baptist um camp uh are you know baptizing their kids at you know whatever 11 10 8 14 years old whatever it is but your worldview and assumptions are very different in what is in how you approach your kids which is our primary um concern and all that in a lot of ways because that's why, you know, I, we said, James White, you aren't part of this camp. <laughs> you're, you're baptizing yeah. four-year-olds and bringing the Lord's Supper. At, at that point, I mean, I, I appreciate that. Uh, I think I would say, like, now we're talking about, we're not talking about baptism necessarily. We're talking about how you yeah. parent your, your kids. So that's, that's different. We're talking about worldviews and how you see your kids, not just parenting yeah. your kids. We're talking about worldviews and how you sure. see your kids. Yeah. Sure. I still think that's a different conversation or, than baptism than mm-hmm. waiting to baptize your kids, you know, waiting to baptize believers only. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, and, and that just bring me back to, you know, how Presbyterians see the covenantal connection of like, I don't, um, uh, you know, I view my kids as part of the covenant people of God, and in and, and the radical Baptist world would generally, they might view their kids as like some good kids growing up in a Christian family, but all their nonverbal communications are communicating to their kids that they aren't part of the family of God until they're ready to to identify with Christ and accept Jesus in their heart and get baptized. When when I want to say, if mom I, and dad, would, if last point here, and then I'll let you have that. Yeah, yeah. If mom and dad have me at their own table, why would Jesus not have me at his table? Who's who's more? Who's the more gracious father in that in that circumstance? The earthly father or or the or the father of heaven and earth, and and yet I can't eat at mom. I can't eat at the Lord's table, but I can eat at mom and dad's table. I must not be a, a part of the body of Christ over here, but I'm part of mom and dad's family. I would I would object. Uh, I agree with most everything you said there. I would object to the ready to identify language. I, I just don't know anybody. I've never heard that in Baptist circles of I'm ready to identify as a Christian. Uh, mm-hmm. That does sound like transgender, but that also sounds like trying to import something uh, yeah. into, I, I, I think what I've heard, you know, if anything, I've heard ready to believe or, or something like that, mm-hmm. but it's generally always re- about faith and repentance and belief. Um, yeah. Not, not a, not identity, not ready to identify that kind of language. I could see if, if that was the widespread practice, then yeah. Uh, Maybe you could maybe even draw some straighter lines. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't see that. I don't think that's right. 
Yeah. Um, well, uh, uh, yeah. No, thank you. Um, I'm gonna let you have the last word here. We've gone on um, uh, uh, long enough. Hopefully, this is a blessing to those who are, who are watching yeah. and coming in. But I'll, I'll let you have the last word here, uh, Rhett, and then I'll close it out, man. Well, for, I would just say thank you. Thank you for uh, you know one what you guys are doing with Cross Politics and Fight Laugh East in general. I think the way you, you guys have handled uh, this particular controversy has been instructive and uh, in how to do it as far as being available. Uh, having this conversation, you guys have had other ones. Uh, I do think uh, if we're going to, I don't say if we're going to move on, I think we're going to move on regardless uh, together. I think this is going to, I thought this would have blown over by now, to be honest with you. I thought it was done last Monday or Tuesday. I was kind of surprised when it kept going on. Yeah. Uh, I do think y'all are known for hard words. I think um, that the hard words you know, that y'all want to say, y'all to say is, yeah, we, Either we exaggerated or we got it wrong or we, you know, it was unclear, you know, something along that. I think the some acknowledgement there, I don't think you need to come uh, groveling and apologizing and repenting. I don't think there was any, I don't think there was sin there. I think it was, I think it was an error, you know, I think you got it wrong. And I think acknowledging uh, in, in some of that rather than, I think some of it got blamed on, you know, Baptist being too sensitive or not able to take hard words. Uh, we're we're glad to take a, the hard words. Um, I think it's the, it's the accuracy there that we're concerned about, and so um, that would be my uh, my encouragement to you guys is um, those are some hard words, uh, mm -hmm. and so um, I would encourage you guys in that regard. But other than that, I I have benefited one just learning a ton from you guys. I have some really good friendships here locally, yeah. both off of my connection. Uh, with Fight Laugh Feast. And so there's nothing but a bunch of gratitude, respect, and love from me. Uh, and so I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Rhett. And thank you for the conversation and, and coming on, man. Um, and for being a contributor to the, to the team here. Um, sure. uh, I, just to address that, that last point, I do agree that our show can, can lend to sloppiness because you're walking into a bar with three Presbyterians and, and their friends. And, and then also when we close things out and go to backstage, I agree that can all cause um, some sloppiness, some ambiguity, and some frustration sometimes for our listeners trying to figure out and pick up where we're at uh, in that. And so that's why I, um, that's why I think we needed to clarify um, and, and let everybody know this is what we m meant. And um, so I just I just – ask that people would believe our clarifications and all this. And I, and I understand the sloppiness and what that can, uh, what, how that can contribute to this, this frustration, um, from my, my, my Baptist brother. So that, that'd be just kind of, kind of all a branch there on that there side of things. So, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to Knoxville. Yeah, man. Look forward to seeing you, uh, in, uh, Knoxville, October, uh, 6th through the 8th. Hey, we're going to have a, uh, uh, church leadership, uh, luncheon on Friday. Um, uh, so, Stand by for that. I'll get more information on that. But anyways, uh, so thank you everybody for for tuning in to Water Break. I hope our dialogue with Rod and Rhett was really helpful uh, in this conversation. And um, uh, you know, please please reach out, contact at fightlaughfeast.com. We hope to see you guys at our conference, and we and we hope that the church learns how to how to fight, how to disagree, how to um, uh, make clarifications, how to you know acknowledge where they're wrong or where they're sloppy. We hope all that uh can happen uh and that the church can grow from all this and and do 
uh, and work, continue to work together to build the church and what's going on in our country. Rod's right in some sense. Rod is, is hits the nail on the head where we got a big fight ahead of us, but we also want to make sure we got clean houses behind us when, when we go out into, to fight the the culture. So, uh, until next week, thank you for joining water break till next week, go fight, laugh and feast.